0: Some years ago, when uh, the American astronaut put his feet on the moon, the president at that time said, this planting of human feet on the moon is the greatest event of human history. He was wrong. No, no. The greatest event of human history is when God stepped out of heaven and came into a manger in Bethlehem and God put his feet on earth. That is the greatest event of human history. Do you realize that history, H-I-S-T-O-R-Y, is really his story? That's right. It's his story. Everything revolves around Jesus Christ and who He is and what He's done, what He's doing, and what He's going to do. I've just kind of been fascinated with the fact that history is His story. And so for the next three weeks, today, next Sunday, and the next Sunday, we're just going to look at His story. And we'll probably cover every area of it. History, his story. You know, it all begins in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Notice what it says. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and ye shall call his name, what? Emmanuel. And it says, it goes on and says, therefore, the Lord himself shall give you, it says, For unto us, wait a minute, that's, now you got it dark, now I can see it. So, um, the Bible says, a virgin would conceive, child would be born, his name would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Then Isaiah elaborated further on that story, and he said, for unto us a child is born, unto us. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And then in trying to describe Emmanuel, God with us, his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So there we have it. Isaiah, hundreds of years before said, Emmanuel is going to come into this world. God is going to invade humanity. God is going to come to earth and live among us. And he described what he would be like when he came, wonderful counselor, almighty God, prince of peace. But you know, these scriptures were fulfilled in the the New Testament. For example we look at Matthew 1 21 through 23 and look what it says and she shall bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sin just pause there a moment look at that we will call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins Emmanuel came on a mission it was a clearly defined mission. And then you read the fulfillment of that promise in John 1, verses 1 through 4, and verse 14. I want you to look at this. Now, now you see, we're, we're, we're establishing the fact today, and we will the next few days, Sundays, that Jesus Christ is not a God, little g. Jesus Christ is God. Somebody asked Jesus not long ago, and she replied, this person replied, well, he's a prophet. Oh, he's more than a prophet. Jesus Christ is God. He's Emmanuel, God with us. The promise of God invading history. So we go to John. He said, in the beginning was the Word, capital W. The Word was with God. And the word, say it with me, was God. Not was a God. In the Greek it says, and the word was the God. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was the God. Now, now notice what it says about him. It says in, in verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. Then in the third verse it says, now wait a minute, listen to this. All things were made through him. This word that was with God, this word that was the God, all things were made through him, and without him was nothing made that was made. And it goes on and says in the fourth verse, forget get this, in him was life. Oh, the word that was with God, the word was the God, the word that through whom all things were made and were made for him, guess what? It didn't say in him was death. It said in him was life. It's all about life. Emmanuel is all about life. Jesus is all about life. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. Well, so John wanted to be sure we understood who the Word was. So in verse 14, he makes the clearest statement that could be made. And the Word that was with God, the Word that was the God, the Word through whom everything was made and for whom everything made, the Word in whom there was life, and His life was the light of men. Look what it says. And the Word became flesh, took on Him a human body. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory of the only begotten Father, of the Father, full of grace and truth. So, the Bible is absolutely clear that history is His story. It's all about God becoming flesh in the person of Jesus of Nazareth and living on this earth. You know, we celebrate His story all the time. We celebrate it year round. We celebrate his birth at Christmas. We celebrate his death, his crucifixion on Good Friday. In the spring of the year, we celebrate his resurrection from the dead and victory over death. At Pentecost, we celebrate that God came to dwell in his children again in the person of Jesus by the Holy Spirit. So all year long, we celebrate His story, it's all about Him. It's all about Jesus. History revolves around and is centered in the person of Jesus Christ. Every Sunday, every time we gather, what are we doing? We're celebrating His story. That's what we're doing. We're talking about Him and who He is and why He came and what He did and how He has affected our lives the greatest story ever told. You know, there was a movie with that title. My friend, it just wasn't told. That story's still being told. You know that, don't you? You know, uh, every Sunday we celebrate it. You know, I came across some quotes this week that would kind of amaze you. And, and when you realize who said them. Now, the first one was by H.G. Wells. He was not a believer. But I want you to listen to what he said about Jesus and history. He said, I am a historian. I'm not a believer, but I must confess as a historian, and, and this, I must confess as a historian, this penniless, I, I can't, I, for some reason that's not dark enough. I am a historian, and I, I'm a believer, and I must confess as historians that this penny, penniless carpenter from Nazareth irrevocably is the very center of history. Here's a historian, an unbeliever, saying that Jesus Christ is the center of history. It's all about Jesus. And then you go on, and here's another quote, and, he's, he's, and let me go back to that statement there: "Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in history. H. G. Wells, an unbeliever, saying, "You cannot deny the facts. Jesus is easily." The most dominant figure in history. Then you go on to the next quote and it says uh, God in many I wish that was where I could read it darker. Is it? Well I'm going to do the best I can. God may thunder his commands from Mount Sinai and men may fear yet remain in their heart exactly as they were before. But when a man sees his God come down in the arena as a man, suffering, um, tempted, sweating. what? Sweating, sweating agonized. My, my sight's not bad. That thing's not right. <laughs> Sight sweating, agonized. Finally crying, a cri- finally dying a criminal's death. And he, then it is hard indeed for that man not to be untouched. He said, in other words, God speaking from a mountain as he did to Moses. But God coming down to earth in the arena of human suffering and living as a man. And it's hard to see God doing that and it not touch your heart. Move the heart of a man or a woman. Well, th- this is a quite interesting quote, and it's um, from uh, uh, from Napoleon. I know men, and I tell you that Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I have founded empires, but on what did the, the, the rest On what did we rest the creation of our genius upon force? Jesus Christ founded his empire on love. And at this hour, millions of men would die for him. Napoleon. It's amazing how many people recognize that history is his story. It's all about Jesus. It's all about who he was. And then there's one last one. That, I, that just bless me. As the centuries pass, the evidence is accumulating that, measured by the effect on history, Jesus is in the, is the most influential life that ever stepped, ever lived on this planet. Jesus is the most influential life that ever lived on this planet. From an unbeliever. From a conqueror, world conqueror, they all understood that Jesus divided history. He did. BC, before Christ. AD, in the year of our Lord. It is amazing. And here we gather on this Sunday morning, December the 11th, 2016. What are we doing? We're still talking about Jesus. We're still exalting Jesus. We're still worshiping Jesus because history is his story. It is all about him. The next three Sundays we're going to look at his story. But today I want to look at the first and most important thing. I was going to do two, but it would take too long. Here's the truth. Jesus Christ is Emmanuel. That means he is God with us. You know, Isaiah 7 14 said, A virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son, and we shall call his name Emmanuel. In Matthew 1, 20 through 23, I read earlier, for unto us a child uh, it says it talks about, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. You know, the history perfectly and authoritatively is clear. That Jesus Christ of Nazareth is God manifest in the flesh, period. Not a God. He is the son of David, the last Adam, perfect humanity. He is the son of God, perfect deity. He's not a little God. He's not a prophet. He's not an educator. He's not a religious leader. He is God who took on human flesh and blood. How clear could it be to us? Now you say, Brother Fred, everybody knows that. Oh, no, they don't. Oh, no, no. Not everybody doesn't know that. That there are many religions and supposedly Christian religions, quote, unquote. If you pin them down and you ask them, is Jesus Christ the same deity as God the Father? Is he 100% God? They'll waver, and they'll hem haul around. They say, well, he was deity. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you how you can know if a, a person or a religious group really believes that Jesus is God, not a God, is God, manifest in the flesh. You know how you can know? You ask them a question. Is Jesus Christ the only way that a person can be saved? If they say yes, then they must be believing that Jesus Christ is who he said he was. He is God manifest in the flesh. But if they say no, Jesus is not the only way a person can be saved. There are other roads that lead to heaven. There are many ways and many roads, and people may take many ways and many roads, and they all end up at the same place. One problem, lie, L-I-E. You see, if Jesus Christ is God, then for there to be any other way for a person to be saved, to be forgiven of sins, and to have eternal life would be absolutely ridiculous. And so the very fact that he is God is very ridiculous exclusive. It's very exclusive. It puts him far above any other quote unquote man-made deity, any other. I have many different religions in in the neighborhood where we live. And there's one that right in the middle of their front, there's a big window. They had it purposely built that way. And there are three statues of Buddha, A, a big heavy one in the middle. Two on the side. And then there's a candle burning. And by the way, they got two big lions sitting on pedestals in front of their house to keep out evil. So I decided last night, I, I think I'll walk over and just look, in the, look at that picture. Look in the window. Just look at it. I was not moved. Other than to say, Buddha's dead. All he did was to teach He never even claimed to be God. And all he has is a bunch of little simple, soothing statements of how to have peace. God have mercy. Let me tell you something. God has come into this world, folks. And his name is Jesus Christ. And he is absolute, perfect deity. And he is everything. He and the Father are one. Now, I want you to look at Philippians chapter 2. And, and, and I want you to listen to what it says about him in verses 5 through 8. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Well, what was his mind? Go on to the next verse. Who being in the form of God. I mean, it mean, he existed as God. Who being in the form of God did not consider it something to be held on to, to be equal with God. Oh. He was equal with the Father. Now, in eternity, he will subject himself to the Father, but but we're talking about at this point in history. The Bible says he did not consider it a thing; uh, made himself uh, think, think, make robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation. <laughs> he made himself of no reputation, coming in the form of a bar, taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man. Now, wait a minute. He did not sit or the thing to be grasped to be equal with God, something to be held on to, but he laid aside his deity, stay with me, and took upon humanity. And not only did he he take on humanity, took on himself the form of a servant, but being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. So, so Paul is saying, listen, he, he was in the form of God, deity. He, he said, no, I'm not going to hold on to this. I'm going to lay aside my deity and come into the world as the last Adam, as perfect humanity without a sinful nature. And I'm going to be obedient to the will of my Father. And I'm going to humble myself. And I'm going to die on the cross for the sins of man. Now, you've got to understand, who is this hanging on the cross anyway? Who, who is it? Who was it hanging on the cross? You say it was Jesus of Nazareth. Yes. You say it was the son of David. Yes. You say it's the son of God. Yes. You mean to tell me it's God hanging on the cross? That's exactly right. You say, man, Brother Fred, it takes faith to believe that. No kidding. (laughs) It does take faith to believe that. Doesn't it take faith to believe that the God who spoke this world into being would leave heaven, come down to this earth, live as a carpenter on this earth, be rejected, despised, beaten, misunderstood, called a being full of demons, does it not amaze you that the God who spoke this world out of nothing would come to this earth and live among us, be tempted in every way like we are, yet without sin, and then that God himself would go to the cross and die in our place? Do you not tell me that that doesn't take faith? You better believe it takes faith. Reasonably, humanly, you say, that just can't be. But it is. You know how I know it is? Because you're sitting here this morning. And I'm standing here this morning for a while. (laughs) And I want to tell you, he changed my life. Oh, yeah. You say, Brother Fred, how do you know he's God? I've met him. Oh, really? How do you know he's God? I've talked to him. How do you know he's God? Because he convicted me of my sin. Well, how do you know he's God? Because He showed me I was lost. And you know, he did what he said he would do. That if I would repent of my sin and invite him into my life, he would forgive my sins and change my life. You see, everything Jesus Christ came for and everything he said he would do, he has done. And that that could be your story all across this room. Let me tell you what Jesus Christ did for me. Let me tell you how he changed my life. Let me tell you how he's given me hope how I now can face the future without fear and without knowing that there's a devil's hell awaiting those who reject him. You see, we've got to understand that the message of Christianity is like no other message. It is no other message like it. No religion whatsoever. They, they say that Mohammed was a what? Prophet. A false one at that. We didn't say Jesus is a prophet. Jesus is God who became a man and lived on. Why do we believe? The Bible just says it over and over again. Philippians, Paul said he, look in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. It changes everything when you believe Jesus is God. Changes everything. Changes the way you view him. Changes the way you treat him. Changes the way you follow him changes the way you obey him. When you're realizing that this is not just a mere man, you are, you are having a fellowship and a relationship with the living God. All right, now look what Paul said about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For, in, for by him, all things were created. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. He says, I want you to know Back there in Genesis, God said, let us, oh, let us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let us make man in our image. When God said, let there be light, the Word of God, Jesus was saying with the Father in unity, let there be light. For all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, where the thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers, all things were created through Jesus. All things were created through him and for him. Did you know the universe was created for Jesus? Did you know you were created for him? That he had a purpose for your life? That he wanted to know you and love you and walk with you personally? all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And you know what? And in him all things consist. Did you know what that says about Jesus? He holds everything together. You know, I I, 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 I think I took physics, but I'm not sure I passed it. In fact, I know I didn't. But in there they talked about the atom, you know, and that the, the, a nuclear bomb is when they split the atom. You know, you split it, and then it hits another atom, and it splits and goes. Whoosh! Then a big cloud goes up. 100,000 people get killed in Nagasaki wherever it was. What keeps the atoms from splitting right now? What holds all the atoms together? What keeps this world tilted just right, spinning on its axis? So fast enough that we'll stay on, but not too fast that we will fly off. Who who is it, who is it that keeps the sun just of uh, the Earth just far enough from the sun that we won't burn up, but close enough that we can have vegetation and things like that. All things were created through Him and for Him and by Him. Everything is held together. You take Jesus out of the equation, everything would go, to, go absolutely haywire. You know, I'm, I'm convinced that somehow people have lost the fact that Jesus Christ is God who came to live in this world. How could you treat him indifferently if he is God? How could you take him or leave him if he is God? How could you say no to his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness if he is God? How could you refuse to live for you? Why would you choose to live for yourself and not live for him if God invaded history so that you could be forgiven and be saved? Do you understand the fact that he is God makes everything to me make sense? It is his story and it's all about him. And you know, I believe exactly what it says. In him we live and move, and have our being. He is our life. You know, I love that passage. You see, that they want to debate that Jesus isn't God. They want to debate that. I'm not going to waste my time. But let me just give you some verses. I want you to see this right from the Word of God. And by the way, what is our authority for what we believe? What's our authority for what we believe? It's not some professor in college that's never read the Bible and is an atheist. He's not, the, he's not the authority for what we believe. He's like those people on Mars Hill where Paul said, much learning doth make thee mad. Don't tell him I said that, but I, I'm telling you right now. Listen. Don't tell me you don't believe in God and you don't believe in Jesus and you don't believe Jesus is God. If you've never read this book and studied it and made it up, an, an oppor- given God an opportunity to speak to you, don't even talk to me about it. If you're not interested enough to read it, then you're wasting my time. But I'll tell you what, the more you read it and the more you read it and the more you see the hand of God from Genesis all the way to Revelation, I am telling you, Eventually, you realize, praise God, this is the only book to live by and the only book to die by. And glory to God, I know how to live because the Bible tells me how to live. And I know what to believe because the Bible tells me what to believe. Glory to God, I don't have to listen to the mere opinions of men. I have the Word of the Living God. Colossians says, He's the express image of the invisible God. I love this passage in Hebrews. In chapter 1, look at what it says. God who had, I'm just showing you that Jesus is God, 100% man, son of David, perfect humanity, 100% God, perfect deities, the son of God. I'm just showing you how the Bible irrevocably and authoritatively says that Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh. Now, I want you to notice what it says in Hebrews. God who at various times and in various ways spoke to us in times past by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his Son whom he appointed heir of all things. Now look at the last part of this. And through whom he made the worlds. John said, No, Paul said, through him he made the worlds. Here the writer of the Hebrews says, through Jesus he made the worlds. Read on. Look how he describes him, who's being the brightness of God's glory, the express image of God's person, and upholding all things by the word of his power. Remember it said in Colossians, by him everything is held together. And so the Hebrew writer says, he upholds everything. He keeps it working by the word of his power. Who who when by himself had purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. All right? Look over at verse 6. It says, but but, uh, when he again but when the, when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, I feel like I'm a first grade reader. Let all the angels of God worship him. Let me ask you a question. Who do you worship? God. What did, what did the Hebrew writer say? Let all the angels of God, what? Worship him. He must be God. And he goes on and says in verse... Uh, 9, verse 7. And, the, and, and, and of the angels, he said, who makes his angels ministers, uh, angel spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. And he goes on down in verse 9. Now, this is what I want you to see. Now, if a Jehovah's Witness knocks on your door and wants to give you some of their literature and wants you to read it, you've got to remember that they believe Jesus is a God, little g. He is not God the God manifest in the flesh. And they'll say, well, over there in, in John 1, it says, and he was a God. That's not true. It says, well, he was the God. But I, I don't even have to show them that. Look at what it says here. Well, let me just show you what the, what the Father said about Jesus. You, you want to know if he's God? Look at what it says. But to the Son, he says, he said, to the angels, worship him. To the angels, you're going to be his ministers. But to Jesus, he said, To the Son he said, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Your throne, O God? Oh, he's God. And a scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. And so we just see the, the tremendous teaching of the Word of God that Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh. All right. Let me see good. I want to show you five things and then I'll be through. But my prayer is this, that you'll be so convinced according to Scripture that Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh and that he suffered and died on the cross in your place and was re- rose from the dead for your justification, that you'll be so convinced that he is God. How could you ever offer him? the leftovers of your life. How could you ever try to work him into your schedule? My friend, if Jesus Christ is God and he did what he did for me and you, how in the world can I ever give him anything but everything? You know, that that song, All to Jesus, I Surrender, add that about a hundred times more. But I'm not sure we convinced he's God. Well, as God, Manifested on earth, Jesus showed his power over nature. You see, God is over. Let me just give you an example. Jesus, the God-Man, manifested his power over nature. In in, in Mark chapter five, verse thirty-five through forty-one, Jesus decided that they were going to cross the ocean, the, the Sea of Galilee, in a boat. No, that is not right. That's a, is that Mark five thirty-six. That is not what I'm looking for. What is Mark 5.35? Wait a minute, I'm going to look it up. Because this is where uh, they were crossing the Sea of Galilee and the disciples um, got scared and, and, and thought they were going to perish. And let me see what that is. I don't know how I missed that. But it's not the first time I've missed anything, in case you don't know it. All right, let's Mark 5, 35. Okay. That is the wrong verse. Well, I'll tell you the story, okay? I always like to use the scripture. Well, Jesus just finished, uh, uh, is it chapter 4? Praise God, I didn't miss it, but one chapter. Let's look at chapter 4. Can you go back over there, Gordon? I hate I mess y'all up so bad. Don't you? I mean, well, I can do it in Mark. All right, look here. On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let's cross over to the other side. Okay. All right. And 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 when they said left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other boats were also with them. All right, go ahead. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were beating into the boat, and it was already filling up. <clears throat> They're in trouble. and it was in, But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. My goodness. And they awoke him and said to him, Lord, do you not care that we're fixing to perish? We are fixing to sink. Look at what he said. Then he arose and rebuked the wind. And said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And look what the disciples said. Uh, he, He said to them, why are you so fearful? Why did you have no faith? And then it says, and they feared exceedingly and said to one another, what kind of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey Him. I tell you what kind of man He is. He's God. He created the sea, certainly it would obey Him. He created the wind, certainly the wind. And so Jesus just said, I'll just show you the the power of God over nature. I speak to the wind and it quits blowing. and I speak to the sea and it grows calm. But He not only showed His power over nature but over the physical body. I want you to look at Matthew 15 verse 30. All right, now look at this. Jesus is God. Do you think he has any power over this physical body? The great multitude came to him, having with them the lame, the blind, the mute, and the maimed, and many others, and they laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. The lame, the blind, the mute, the maimed and many others. And Jesus healed them. He's God. Nature obeys his voice. He's God. The body obeys his voice. He also manifested his power as God over the spiritual world. In Luke chapter 5, verses 20 through 24, this y'all all know the story about the man who was paralyzed. And Jesus was in town, and he couldn't get up and walk, so his friends got him on a stretcher, four people, you know, working together. They couldn't have been Baptists because they were all working together. You understand how I mean? How you get four Baptists to work on the part. You know, you you, this is your end, and that, no, that, this is my end. Wait a minute, I don't need to go there. But anyway, they got him to the house and could, couldn't get in, so they climbed up on the roof and opened the roof and let him down at Jesus' feet. Now, Jesus is God. Now, only God has the power to forgive sin. No man can forgive your sin. Oh, no, no. No church can forgive your sin. Zero. Only God. So what does Jesus say to this man? The obvious thing was that he needed to be healed. But no. When he saw their faith, he said to him, man, your sins are forgiven. Well, boy, that blew every one of them away. Who is this man that is that is, is telling this man he's forgiving, sin, forgiving his sin? Only God can do that. And so they just kind of got all up, tore up. And so it goes on in, 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 in that chapter, in G, and it says here that the scribes and Pharisees begin to reason. Who is this who, who speaks these things? Who can forgive sin but God alone? They knew only God could. But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he said to them, why, why are you... Uh, Having reasoning in your hearts. What is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise up and walk? So that you'll know that I have the power to forgive sin. He said to the man, sir, take up your bed and walk and go home. And so he took up his bed and walked. And you know why he did that? So they would know that as God, oh, it's no question he could heal the physical body. But he had the power to forgive sin. See, Jesus, as God, showed his power and His authority in the physical realm. He showed it in, in the realm of nature. He showed it in the spiritual realm with the power to forgive sin. What did Jesus say in John 10, 10? He said, I have the power to save you. I have the power to give you a life. He said, the thief comes, John 10, 10 says, the thief comes to steal, this is the devil, kill and destroy. I have come, Emmanuel, God, with us. I have come that you might have what? Life. And you might have it more abundantly. You might have it more abundantly. You know, Jesus had not only the power to forgive, he has the power to change your life. He has the power to transform your life. He has the power to take you from death to life. He has the power to take you from darkness to light. He takes the, has the power to take you out of the family of the devil and put you in the family of God. He has the power to make you a new creation where old things are passed away and all things have become new. You say, Brother Fred, are you telling me that Jesus can save the deepest sinner? You better believe he can. He can save the deepest sinner. He created them and he is God. And I want to praise God. We have a, a Savior who has the power to save anyone who will come to him in repentance and faith. Jesus manifested his power over nature in the physical body and in the spiritual realm. And by the way, he showed his power over the devil. One of my favorite passages is Luke 8, 28. I love this passage. You know, <laughs> Jesus is gone across the uh, Sea of Galilee and he's in the, in the Gadarenes and he says there was a guy in there that was demon possessed and They'd put chains around him and he'd break the chains and, and he was just a wild man. They could, nobody could tame him and he'd scream at night and cut himself with stones, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Well, boy, when he saw Jesus, guess what? He, he had more, knew a lot more than a lot of people that don't have a problem though, when he saw Jesus. He cried out and fell down before him and with a loud voice said, what have I do to, to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, Do not torment me. And the rest of the story is, Jesus asked him what was his name. He said, Legion. That means he had many demons, many demons. And so Jesus commanded all the demons to come out, and they came out. And there were a bunch of pigs uh, over on the hillside. And the the demons asked him, well, just let us go into the pigs, so Jesus said, go ahead. Well, the pigs ran down to the hill into a lake and drowned. You said, what that's all about, Brother Fred? I have not got a clue. I don't have a clue. <laughs> but all I know is it did it. Somebody said the pigs committed suicide. I don't know. But let me tell you what I love. This is the power of Jesus. Stay with me now. This is the power of Jesus over the devil. Look at verse 35. I love this verse. (laughs) Then they went out to see what had happened and came to Jesus and found the man, the man who had the demons, had departed. Uh, They found the man from whom the demons had departed. Listen to this. Now, this was the guy that was breaking chains, screaming all night cutting himself, and they found him sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed, and in his right mind. That is a good place to be, sitting at the feet of Jesus. He changed him. He was never the same, never the same, never the same. You think he went back and fooled around with the darkness? Oh, no, no, no. He knew where Jesus brought him from. And he knew where Jesus brought him to. And he was sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And they all were afraid. I'll tell you one thing. I'm so excited about the fact that Jesus has all authority in the spiritual world. The power to deliver, the power to save, the power to change, the power to forgive. But here's the last thing. As God, Emmanuel, manifest in the flesh, he has power over nature, power over the physical body, power in the spiritual realm, and he has power in the eternal realm. Don't you love the story of Lazarus? I love that story. Word got to Jesus that he was sick. And Jesus, it wasn't but about a day's journey from Jerusalem to where Lazarus lived. But you know what he did? He decided to hang around for two more days. You don't ever, don't don't think you've got God's mind figured out. Well, why don't he do it right now? And why in the world did he hang around two days? Why didn't he go on down? Listen, if you you could figure God out, you would be God. You don't have to understand everything God's doing in your life. And you don't have to understand how he's doing it. You just got to trust him. Did you hear what I said? Well, I can't figure out what God's doing. Look look to him. Listen to him. Seek him. Trust him. When he wants you to know, he'll tell you. Why is he letting me go through this? I guess Mary and Martha said, well, we sent message to him four days ago. He could have been here in a day. What's he doing? Why isn't he here? Well, he hung around for two days, and he said to the disciples, you know, Lazarus is sleeping. They said, well, I'm glad to know that. He must be better. And you know what he said to him? No, you don't understand. Lazarus is dead. It's right there in John 11. He said, Lazarus is dead. Well, he went to the thing and been dead four days. He said, roll the stone away. Lord, Don't we can't do that. He smells bad. You know, I mean, he's been dead four days. And then Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And then he that was bound uh, dead, bound in his brave, cl- grave clothes, came forth absolutely 100% alive. What does that tell me? Who has the power to raise the dead? God. Nobody else. So Jesus said, just so you'll know that I'm Emmanuel, God manifest in the flesh, I'll just raise Lazarus from the dead so that any question you have in your mind will be erased. That wasn't the only person he raised from the dead. The widow of Nain's son. The centurion's servant. Let me tell you something. Jesus has the power to raise the dead. By the way, you know what he did? He rose from the dead. Wouldn't you like to have been there when the stone rolled away and Jesus walked out of Joseph's tomb? My soul. I'd believe we'd sing the Hallelujah Chorus. Can I ask you something? Do you really believe that Jesus is God? Now, I mean seriously. Beyond my human understanding, the God who spoke this world into being left heaven, came down to earth, and was born in a manger in Bethlehem, grew up as a son of a carpenter, lived in 30 years of age, was baptized by John the Baptist. John declared him to be the Son of God, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, was tempted by the devil in the wilderness, overcame, went about healing the sick, lame and blind, teaching and preaching and loving, knowing always that the main reason he came was for the cross so he could die for you and me. I tell you what, if you really believe that Jesus is God, it's kind of like that song, "Love So Amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. There's nothing you could ever do to make one down payment on what Jesus did for you. It's all by his grace and mercy. And if you believe his God, it'll affect the way you live and affect the way you respond to people. And affect the choices that you make, and his book, his book, his story will become your story, and your life will be, will be, whether you work in the mechanic or whether you work in the office, whether you, whatever you do. Whether you're retired, your life will all be. It's it's all about him, and my life revolves around him, because it's his story, because he is God. How could it be anything less than his story in your life and mine?